Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Revival Cry. This is Eric Miller, and I have my special guest, Dr. Michael Brown, here with us today. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for being here. My joy. My joy to be with you. You know, it's been an honor for many years that we've known Dr. Brown since the days of the Brownsville Revival. My wife, Casey, and I went down there in April of 98 for the first time. And while we were there, I actually got to attend one of your Saturday leadership seminars where there were many leaders, pastors from around the world. And at that point, our life was just recovering from my addiction to pornography where I was radically set free several months before, but we knew we were supposed to go to the revival, but I didn't fully understand everything that was going on. In fact, I've heard you say many times about revival that you can no more hold a revival than you can a hurricane. And you're referring to when churches say, hey, we're going to have revival this week. But when we went down there, it blew my mind to see the amount of people hungry for God. Anything that the Lord wanted to do in their life, they were surrendering everything. I'd never seen anything like that. You're down there starting a school of ministry, first called the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry, and later to become Fire School of Ministry. I would say that what drew me to come to school was I'd always felt this understanding of John the Baptist just really being drawn to that type of ministry of being a voice in the wilderness. What does it mean to be a voice in the wilderness? On, on the one hand, it's, it's really important for us to understand that we're all part of a body, all part of a family. There is no one man of God or one woman of God who is the, the person that God uses in the earth. God's working through a family, through a people. And we have to always work against the idea that we alone have the message. Mm. Remember when, when Elijah said, I alone am left, and God said, there are actually 7,000 in the nation who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. I mean, that was a low amount, but yeah. he was anything but alone, although it felt like that. On the other hand, often our voices are like voices in the wilderness because many don't want to hear what we have to say. And there will be those times when, when you feel like you're the only one carrying a particular burden. You know the reality is you're one of many. But your own self-perception, because people around you, they don't see it. Others reject it. Could be your home congregation, could be your denomination, could be leadership peers. And you're like, there's, pro there's a problem, there's a storm coming, and, and people don't see it. So you just have to go to God hmm. and obey and know that over the course of time, the message will be vindicated and God will be glorified. And it's not about us being vindicated, but God's message 
being vindicated. That's right. I remember the first book, Christian book I ever read was No Compromise, The Life Story of Keith Green. And then somebody also gave me a book of his called A Voice of One Crying in the Wilderness, I believe it was. And that book really stood out to me because I saw him to have so much courage and boldness and a deep love in his heart for souls, for the nations. And I'd never been exposed to that type of love that came from someone's life who was radically changed. And even at that time, my life wasn't changed yet. But I was reading about his life story, and I'm hearing about Leonard Ravenhill, Winky Prattney, David Wilkerson. There was something about these people that I was really drawn to, and I think it had a lot to do maybe with some of that boldness and courage, but I felt like they had such a deep love for the Lord and for the nations. You knew a lot of these people personally. What was it like to be around like Leonard Ravenhill? Leonard Ravenhill was one of the most unique human beings I've I've ever gotten to to know. God connected us supernaturally in 1989. Mm -hmm. I was 34. He was 82. I had heard him preach Uh, several years earlier, uh, about six years earlier, when he was 76, at a meeting in Brooklyn Tabernacle, the most convicting message I ever heard in my life. And at the end, when he gave an altar call, people just ran to the altar, no music, no fanfare. They just ran to the altar and were weeping and wailing and crying out. It was extraordinary. And he just carried that. And what made him so unique was the depth of brokenness that he walked in. I don't mean depression. I don't mean hopelessness. But he shared God's burden. Because God loves so much, it's only natural that he hurts. Right. As he's touched by the feeling of our infirmities, they become real to him. And and Brother Len carried those. Mm. So we were close friends the last five years of his life. And all the things I had believed and was carrying for years before that, he, he poured more fuel on that fire. He was a great influence on Keith and Melody Green as right. well. And, and many of the, the things that I saw Keith Green quoting and writing yeah. were things that, that Brother Lynn shared with me as well. Wow. And I've often said that his preaching was very powerful, even though I knew him the end of his life when he was physically weak and frail. But his preaching was incredibly powerful. His writing, even more powerful. Mm. People that read Why Reviral Tarries to this day are impacted by it. And yeah. Everyone who's read it remembers certain quotes from it. Yeah. But his praying was on another level. His praying was beyond his writing. Mm. I remember the first time we, we prayed together at his home in September of 89 when, when he invited me to spend a few days with him. Got on our knees, and soon enough I was just on my face weeping and sobbing. Wow. O- overwhelmed by the reality of what was happening and hearing this man pray with such articulation. It was, it was almost as if he was praying in tongues in English. Just, it was almost supernaturally deep and beautiful and eloquent and penetrating. And he would spend a lot of time in prayer. We'd pray together, but he had set times that he would get alone and pray. He'd wake up right. in the middle of the night and go pray. And so one afternoon we're there, and he said, hey, I've, I've got to go. You know, it's his time for his prayer appointment mm-hmm. with the Lord. And when he came out, and I saw this several times over the years and always repeat it the same way. He came out from the prayer room, and he was stunned. His eyes were teary. He says, Mike, the bride is naked and ashamed and doesn't even know it. I'm so grieved for the Lord. And, and he, he saw the condition of the church, and because he loved Jesus so much, and, and that was the Messiah's bride, it broke his yeah. heart. 
And that's when I, I learned something. I had known the principle, but I learned it firsthand. That you can only deliver something to the depth that it has you and, and that you mm. own it and have it. Right. It, it's not a matter of, okay, I'll just take somebody's message and preach it. Or while these words are so persuasive and convicting, you might appeal to people's emotions. But if you're really going to impact their hearts and lives, you can't give what you don't have. That's good. And I saw the depth of his brokenness before the Lord, the depth of his prayer life before the Lord, the depth of carrying God's burden. And now when he would speak, fire would fall. Wow. And, and you would see the types of things you'd normally only see during revival, you would see in the meetings when he ministered. It's amazing. You know, it, it means so much to me to hear that because I remember being in Pensacola during the Brownsville revival. And the first day that I walked through that church, the doors of that church, and heard the worship and Steve Hill preaching, your teaching, Pastor Kilpatrick, it gripped my heart because I felt like I wasn't hearing voices like this. And it wasn't just so much what they were saying. It was this urgency behind that mm -hmm. we, we have to go win souls. The nations are at stake. People are dying and being separated from the Lord forever. I was just flabbergasted by this sense of responsibility. And when I talk about what does it mean to be a voice in the wilderness, we always refer back to you guys because we heard from you this sense of desperation. I remember Rich Crisco one time saying, those who pray desperately understand the desperation of the hour. It's not just reading the news and seeing what's happening all around us. It's really spending time with Jesus, seeing his tears. And, and like you saw through Brother Len, and, and we've seen from you and the staff of Fire Church and the school for years now. It has made such an impact that I believe that's why so many missionaries have gone out to the mission field. But I wanted to ask you a question here about from John 1 starting in verse 19 it says now this is the testimony of john when the jews sent priests and levites from jerusalem to ask him who are you he confessed and he did not deny but confess i am not the christ and they asked him what then are you elijah he said i'm not are you a prophet he answered no then they said to him who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us what do you say about yourself and he said this I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He did not respond to them that I'm a prophet. You know, it goes on to say, I'm just a voice. What kind of mindset do you believe John the Baptist had to be able to articulate and see himself in that light without trying to live according to what other people wanted him to be? I think it's important to understand that when you really are absorbed with the Lord and really with Him, and you're very conscious of being in Him, that consciousness of yourself becomes greatly diminished. Mm. That's why everything He did, He says in the third chapter, the reason I came baptizing in Israel was so that He would be revealed. Yeah. And it's the same for all of us in ministry. Right. Even though we have a sense of calling and destiny and purpose and prophetic promises that we pray over, 
at the same time, the whole reason we're here is to glorify him. Right. And we all share ultimately in the sentiments of George Whitfield that the name of Whitfield perish, mm -hmm. that the cause of Christ may live. Yeah. Let all the glory and attention and honor go to him. So even to give himself a title of prophet, which he was, right. was something he wasn't going to do. Wow. I'm just a voice. That's what he's saying. It's interesting, though, when you think of the role of a prophet, that's what the prophet is. The prophet is God's voice right. on the earth. God tells the prophet, say this, and then the prophet doesn't say, I've got an idea, I've got an amazing insight, right. or check out these, these new thoughts of mine. No, it's this is what the Lord says, wow. because they are speaking his words. Mm. This reality of being a voice is something that's gripped me for many, many years. Because here's what happens. You get a burden from the Lord. You feel the need to sound the alarm. Let's just make it totally in the natural, right? Right. You live um, in a community that's, that's around a lot of trees and forests, right? Mm -hmm. God tells you there's going to be a terrible forest fire and people are going to die unless they leave now. Right. And he says, shout it out. But when you go to shout, no words come out of your mouth. Mm. You go to sit down at your computer to send out a message on social media, and the electricity's down. You grab your cell phone, and there's no service. Mm. It's like I've got the message, but I've got no outlet for the message. Mm. It's not a personal ambition thing. Mm. It's not a matter of I want to be known or seen or heard or respected or listened to. That's utterly immaterial when you're thinking people could die. Right. People could die, right? And if I start warning, they're all going to think I'm crazy. Mm. There's anything but about me. I've had that over the years where God burdens me. Speak. Like, but Lord, I don't have the platform. Mm. I, I'm limited. You're telling me to shout this out to the world, and these are the limits of my platform. That drives you then to desperate prayer. I imagine the way a woman would feel that's getting close to childbirth and now she's past her due date and she's ready to burst mm -hmm. and the baby won't come out, that it must feel like something like that mm -hmm. spiritually. But then I've learned over the years that as painful and uncomfortable as it is, it's that that drives me to more desperate prayer. Yeah. And here's what happens. Think of the arrow, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the bow and the arrow's being pulled back, pulled back, it's like, Lord, you know, right. any further, I'm going to break. You yeah. understand that I can't take this tension any longer. Lord, you understand that if the breakthrough doesn't come now, it's over. It's, it's too, this thing's going to snap. But God knows he can put it all the way, you know, maybe hundreds of feet back. But when he releases it, boom, yeah. it's an explosion. It does. Something happens. And, and I feel very specifically for, for some of you listening that that's a timely word that you need to hear that the desperation is very intense, that the trial has been prolonged, that the burden it feels like you're ready to... You, you know you can't live another day without the breakthrough, and yet every day you wake up and have to live another day. Keep pressing in. Keep honoring God. Keep praying with desperation. And when the breakthrough comes, it'll be more significant and lasting than you can imagine. There's one thing that... I've learned from you over these last 24 years that has always stayed with me. Don't exalt yourself. Let God open doors. Don't try and make things happen. Let the Lord do it. 
And that was hard for me at first because when I was a youth pastor, you were always trying to push the doors open, trying to... Climb the ladder. Climb the ladder, exactly. And then we come to Pensacola, and it's about waiting on the Lord, being still and knowing that He's God, and listening, you know, being teachable. That's the scripture. What is it? Is it First Timothy 4, 15, 16, where Paul says, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself holy to Him. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. If you do, you'll save yourself and your hearers. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't quoted that in a while. But I remember hearing that the first time I was in a service at Brownsville, and then all the time you guys are fanning that flame. Just be teachable. Be a listener. Learn how to wait upon the Lord. How does that play into us and God using our voice as he wills? As the Lord works through us, we have more and more influence. More and more people look to us. And above all, we are representatives of the Lord. Amen. And if we have not been broken, if we mistake our human frustration for the burden of the Lord, if we mistake our human anger for God's righteous indignation, Mm. if we're not patient, Mm -hmm. uh, or if we're compromised and fearful Mm. of really speaking, we can do a lot of damage. Right. Our voice may do a little good, but a lot of harm. So good. And... It's not a matter of waiting until we're perfect to be released or waiting until we never make a mistake. Otherwise, none of us would ever be used for a day of our lives. But it is a matter of maturing. Mm -hmm. It is a matter of saying that there's a reason that you don't give guns to four-year-olds or put an eight-year-old behind the wheel of a car Mm -hmm. or allow a 10-year-old to vote. Mm -hmm. You know, there's maturing. So in our own lives, every day is important. In other words, when I was a brand new believer, I was witnessing every day. That was important. In fact, I reached more lost people in a significant way over a period of of a couple of years than any other time in my life. Wow. Because I'm brand new saved around unsaved people every day at high school, sharing the gospel with at least one new person every day. Within the first year, I counted about 40 people from my school that that came to a church service with me. Come on. Now, only some were saved Mm -hmm. in, in a lasting way. But that was significant work. Right. And then when I was saved a year, I was so hungry for the Lord, I would spend at least six or seven hours alone with the Lord every day. Wow. At least three hours in prayer, at least three hours in the Word, including one hour of memorizing Scripture. I used to memorize 20 verses a day. Wow. That laid the foundation Mm. for my study and learning the rest of my life. Yeah. And, And to this day, it's no problem for me to show up for a conference and find out that I had the wrong topic, and can you speak uh, as I'm walking up to speak, right. or do a whole class, a semester-long class without a single note? It's literally no problem because so much mm-hmm. got stored and deposited. So every phase is important. Right. Uh, when you're newly married and you're growing as a couple, it's all important. And and if you're preaching to eight people in an old folks' home as they're falling asleep as you're preaching, it's all important. So we never despise, well, this is not big ministry, this is not what I saw myself doing. You remember faithful in the little, faithful in much. There's an old saying, uh, oh, let me just see if I I remember the little poem. It, It basically says that you don't know what's big or small. 
Mm. Only God can tell. Find out what God would have you do and do that little well. For what is great and what is small, tis only God can tell. Wow. That's how we have to live. Yeah. Honor the Lord today. Live in the moment. Live with that sense of tension, especially if you have a promise and a calling. Lord, I, I know you showed me that I'd be preaching to multitudes. It's not an ego thing. But perhaps if he released you to do it now, your ego would carry you away. That's true. Perhaps if he released you to do it now, your message would not be fully formed. Right. Perhaps if he released you to do it now, you would have very little credibility because you have very little track record. Perhaps if he released you now, you wouldn't be able to relate to people who've suffered and gone through hardship because you haven't. Right. He has his reasons mm -hmm. and his promises are true. And until we see him face to face, we'll live with holy tension. Because we never see the fullness in this world, and yet we long to see everything. Amen. That's the way it is. But the simple thing is give yourself unconditionally to do the will of God today. Wow. Let's say you are desperate to drive from New York to California. You cannot wait to get there. Right. So the first day, you drive 20 hours. You're going to sleep four hours and drive it well. The next day, you crash your car after four hours, and now you lose several days. Getting, right. Okay, so no, instead, I'm just going to, what can you do? Drive the fullest I can with vigor strength for that day, mm -hmm. and I'm a step closer, and I accomplish the goal. So, so what are the goals for today? Mm -hmm. What's the purpose of God for your life today? Seize that, live it out, and tomorrow will be blessed. It's just going to be a ripple effect. Amen. That's so good. I, when we moved to the Philippines in uh, January 2003, we moved with four other families you're all familiar with. Yeah. Our first six months, we did no ministry. I remember that. We spent five days a week, two hours a day in prayer together, and then that's aside from our own personal times with the Lord. That was one of the most challenging seasons, but I look at it now and I'm thinking, wow, the Lord really guided us. Like, yes. We had so much of a desire to go win souls, make disciples. But God says, just just wait. <laughs> After that six months period, Casey and I really struggled. We actually had a miscarriage. Mm. It was in June and we were arguing so much. We were talking about how God works out this anger in us and different things. We've been through the revival. I thought I was pretty clean. <laughs> And yet, now I'm a missionary, so we have to look stronger and better. But still, I was reading Ephesians 5 about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. And he said, Eric, you have a great love for my church, my bride, and for revival. But if you don't learn how to love the woman I've put in front of you, you'll never have the affections that I have for my bride. Mm. The next two to three months, we had such a breakthrough in our marriage that whole season was just foundations, foundations, foundations. And then there's explosion of people coming to Jesus on the streets. We're seeing transvestites coming to the Lord who are still walking yeah, with the I, Lord today. I remember today. those testimonies. I remember getting the pictures of the baptisms. I'm just so grateful to you, to Miss Nancy, to all the leaders of fire that have in the revival who all just poured into our lives all those years. Dr. Brown, to our audience today, how can you encourage them to find their voice? You know, maybe there's a homeschooling mom listening, yeah. and then mm -hmm. the other side there's a missionary in Africa who's waiting for things to break out. What could you say to them today? There's so much on my heart about that, and, and there are several different aspects to that. Mm. 
One is don't compare yourself to someone else. That's good. I'm unique. Honestly, I don't know anyone in the world that can do what I do the way I do it. And boy, am I flawed like nobody I know and have all kinds of areas that I can't do what other people do. And I'm not saying that to be humble. I, I mean, I genuinely mean it. It's, yeah. it's a reality. Right. I, what, I, what I do, I can do supernaturally well with supernatural grace. Mm-hmm. And what other people can easily do is like, wow, how do you, how do, you do that? I have incredible admiration for Nancy. Hmm. Uh, she doesn't like to speak publicly. Right. She has even been handed the mic publicly and said, I have nothing to say. Wow. Literally. She will be in a room with people and will share, mm-hmm. but she doesn't like doing that. Many things you associate with ministry, like here, okay, we'll go out on the prayer team and lay hands on people. That's not her thing. Hmm. So a lot of traditional ministry is not who she is, but her character her convictions, right. her uncompromising vision. Mm. When she gives herself to really seek God for periods of time, I've never met anyone that has been that single-minded and focused. It puts wow. me to shame. A major role she's played in my life is to be such an immovable force of truth and high standard in God that it further pushes me. Uh, You know, I I joke with people and say she's completely unimpressed with anything I've ever done. Mm -hmm. She respects me. I mean, she knows I'm not a hypocrite, that I'm the real deal. But our joke is, I could come and say, honey, I wrote this book 300 pages in three weeks. And you Mm -hmm. know what her response would be? You obviously weren't praying much. (laughs) If you had that much time to write, how much were you praying? All she wants is that I am a man full of God. Wow so close to him and walking with him that I, I literally bring him with me. That's right. Everything else is like, you have a gift. Right. You can write, you can talk, you have a gift. That's, right. that's meaningless. Just like I'm whatever height I am. It's meaningless. Right. What matters is being with him. Maybe you're more of a Nancy than you are mm-hmm. me, or more of an Eric, or a Casey. So don't compare yourself. That, that's the first big thing. Second thing is, to really find your fulfillment in God. Mm. I was preaching in Korea, the third service on my last day there, three different churches, so it's the last night of the last week, and third service of the day. I'm preaching away in this message. Tremendous church, an American pastor married to a, a American lawyer who passes married to a Korean woman. Mm. I'm preaching my message, and I keep getting stirred with a quote from Chariots of Fire. It has nothing to do with my message. Right. It's completely unrelated. But it's so compelling, I finally talk about it. Eric Liddell yep. goes, uh, is talking with his sister and explaining why he's going to the Olympics first and then going on the mission field. Well, she asked the obvious Christian question, why not just go on the mission field? Why go to the Olympics first and delay missions? And he said, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Right. After the service, the pastor comes up to me and said, by the way, that is my favorite quote. (laughs) And I use it at least once a month with the church. So it must have been time and God pulled me into it. But that, I tell that story because it puts an exclamation point with it. Absolutely. So when do you feel God's pleasure? Is it maybe just getting alone and worshiping him? Is it getting on your knees and crawling with the infant? And laughing with your baby? Is it studying, reading, learning? 
find those things that, that as you love the Lord and are walking with Him, we're not talking about a carnal expression, but as you love the Lord and you're walking with Him, find those places where, why well, I feel God's pleasure in this. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of the story I've told many a time. One of our grads, so is in the school roughly the same time you are, meets her husband there. They're going to go out and be world changers, right? right. Now she finds herself home, married, mm-hmm. with children, her husband doing secular work. And as she said, I went from changing the world to changing diapers. Right. That can be a crisis. Yeah. Especially for the mother. Sure. You know, because the man, maybe he's out more, maybe getting more fulfillment in the job. He, okay, he's praying for ministry opportunities. And, but, you know, she's just there, tethered to the mm. kids. And, and then it struck her, I'm going to change the world one diaper at a time. Wow. And she realized, this is my mission right now. Yeah. This is my assignment right now. Not only so... But our whole family's going to do ministry. Yeah. So they'd go to the grocery store, and now the kids are like three and four, and they'd say, let's ask Jesus if he wants us to pray for anyone. Mm-hmm. What are you going to say? A little three-year-old adorable girl comes up to Jesus, excuse me, mister, can we pray for you? Mm-hmm. But that's, that's what they would do. Right. And they've raised wonderful, godly kids and made their impact in so many, awesome. so many different ways. And, and, and then the last thing is, when you have a burden... Keep taking it to God. Journal it. Write it out. There are things, Eric, that God's promised me now for over 20 years, and I've only seen them in part. Other things He's promised me, I've seen happen after five years, after 10 years, sometimes after agonizing in prayer and fasting for years, and, and how long, oh Lord, and how long. And I'm not talking about world redemption stuff that awaits the return of Jesus. Right. I'm talking about things that I know he showed me I would see in my lifetime. Hmm. I'm seeing more of it. Right. But that's after more than 20 years wow. of, of travail before God and God purging me and refining me along the way. But here's what's interesting. I've journaled when I get moved on. I, I've journaled when I get stirred in prayer. And I go back to that. And I remember, oh, this is over 15 years ago. I remember journaling again and then searching for key words because it's in a journal app and saying, Either I've lost my mind or God's been speaking this because it's the same thing. Year in, year out, year in, year out. You don't remember the exact words you wrote till you look at them. It's like, I just wrote the exact same words, wow. feeling that this is what the Lord was saying to me. Yeah. So if you have that burden, you say, right now I'm, I'm working a, a double shift at the factory, <laughs> cleaning toilets. And God told me about I'm going to reach kings. Right. Well, as you're cleaning toilets, let a prayer go up to God. God, you promised. God, you promised, and you have me here for reasons. So I'm going to seize this moment and learn from it. And the day will come when I'll, I'll teach others to do the same. Right. You know, follow these basic principles. Mm. So that's what we give ourselves to. And let that burden, sometimes it's those who sow with tears mm. will reap with joy. It's so true. And, and I can speak to it as a witness. Mm. God told me in April of 83 that I'd be part of a revival that would touch the whole world. Come on. From 83 until 96 wow. when God called me to be part of the Brownsville Revival. Mm-hmm. And instantly I knew this was the beginning of the thing I've prayed for all these years. Amen. That's 13 years. It's amazing. And, and 13 years from a younger point in life feels longer. Right. God is faithful. And if you have a good relationship with Him and He keeps burdening you about the same thing over and over, you're not crazy. He'll do what He promised. But you must be faithful in the little and you must take it to God in prayer. Wow. Thank you, Doc. I feel like I should close with this, that, you know, our eldest daughter, Sierra, we have five children. Sierra was, when she was just a little child yeah, yeah. when we came to Pensacola, and she was 
I think five years old when we moved to the Philippines. She just turned 24 June 12th. One of the things we asked the Lord for confirmation when we were moving to the Philippines was, Lord, how do we know we're supposed to move there? And we found out that Sierra was actually born June 12th, 1998, which is the Philippines centennial, the 100-year anniversary. Of Seriously. It. it was amazing. And one of the things we've always learned from you guys about hearing the voice of God and, and waiting upon the Lord was to teach our kids how to hear God's voice. My wife, Casey, has been amazing. Sierra ends up, I'm fast forwarding a lot, but she ends up getting a full scholarship to Regent University. She is running like Eric Liddell. She would quote that, you said just a few minutes ago, the pleasure of God uh, over and over again. And she goes to nationals. But for Sierra's entire life, since she was 14, she's had this burden to go to Japan to be a missionary. So I'm not sure if we mentioned this to you or not, but in October she's going to be presented yes, as a missionary. Yes, you mentioned it. So she's I remember going to Japan. when you took her on the first missions trip to yeah. Japan. I thought how cool yeah. that she's going. And you know, I read a survey of belief of God in different nations that was done in 2012 by the University of Chicago, and the country that had the lowest percentage of people saying they were certain that God existed was Japan, under five. Wow. America was slightly over 60% because we tend to be a religious country. Number one was Philippines with 81%. Really? So you're going from the country that has the most people, obviously a lot of traditional religion and all of that, and Japan has Buddhism, which doesn't have a personal God. Right. One of the toughest mission fields on the planet, but exactly where she should be. Exactly. And, And it's like the Lord has conditioned her life. They told me one time in Japan, they said, you know, we love having you guys here, but Sierra's personality and who she is, she fits right in with us. Oh, yeah. She said, they said to me, you're too loud. <laughs> but I, I love it because there's all kinds of people that the Lord brings to speak into the lives of a nation. But when he raises up somebody as a voice in the wilderness and we just look at it and go, this is a God thing. We know he's doing it. We take so much joy in knowing that he's prepared it. So thank you for preparing us to prepare them. Yeah, and, and you and Casey and the kids have been amazing examples. Mm, thank you. It's blown me away sitting here sometimes with your boys as they're younger, right. and they're asking questions about 10 years ahead of their age, <laughs> just very casually. Yeah. You know, the way Casey poured into them, the example you set. Yeah. And if we could, could we pray for your sure. listeners and viewers? Let's do Father, it. Father, I ask you to light a fresh fire. I ask you to do something deep and lasting yes. and supernatural. I ask you to draw people into your holy presence, into the secret place, and may everything flow out of their relationships with you. Yes. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Dr. Brown, thank you. We love you both, and we're so honored to be with you today. And I want to encourage you guys, go to AskDrBrown.org. He's written over 40 books, articles on the radio Monday through Friday. You don't want to miss what Dr. Brown puts out every week. God bless you, and thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.